Are we a bit loud? No? We good? Everyone can hear me? Good, good, good. I want to start this morning from the very beginning. And Dave's teed me up for that, talking about Adam and Eve this morning. Good place to start, yeah, from the beginning. We know it was God's desire, don't we, to, to have a relationship right from the very beginning. And we see that, didn't we, in the garden with Adam and Eve. And I was just thinking on that the other day, and we don't see enough, we don't read enough about that relationship at the beginning, do we? Um, and I just, I just had this picture, I just, see, I just see Adam walking with God, just walking with the Father and just sharing with him what's on his heart. And Father God just sharing with Adam what's on his heart. And he says to Adam, I'm going to create some animals. He goes, and I want you to be involved. And Adam's like, what's an animal? And he's like, let me show you, son, let me show you. So God creates this, this animal. He's got hoofs. His head went up as high as the trees. Spots all over it. And Father God goes to him, Adam, what are you going to call that? And he goes, I don't know, Father. He says, how about long neck? <laughs> Father God goes to him, are you having a giraffe, my son? <laughs> Adam, Adam starts laughing and he goes, he goes, Father, I know, I'll call it a giraffe. <laughs> Father God's like, excellent, my son. I don't know where you got that from. But that, that's how it is, isn't it? That's that relationship thing and, and how sometimes we get the credit for things, but yet it all comes from him. It all starts with him. Right at the beginning there, with, with Adam and Eve, they had the spirit of sonship and daughtership. Ladies, forgive me if I say sonship more than daughtership this morning. There's nothing personal, it just flows. It flows a lot better. <laughs> but the moment they sinned, they exchanged that relationship. They exchanged it for an orphan heart. They chose to go their own way. They chose to separate from God. In the process of that, an orphan heart was passed on to every generation that came after them. And that includes us. This is what I want to talk about today. This is what God's been showing me and speaking to me about. About how we move from that orphan heart into the spirit of sonship. Firstly, this morning, I want to look at what an orphan is and what does it mean. I've picked up from the Webster's Dictionary because it gives me three examples. One, a child deprived by death of one or usually both parents. Two, a young animal that has lost its mother. Hopefully that one don't apply to any of us. Number three, one deprived of some protection or advantage. The moment that Adam and Eve chose to go their own way, they were cut off. 
They were separated. They were separated from the garden, their home. They were separated from Father God's presence. They would have felt alone. They would have been abandoned. Which then opens the door to all sorts of stuff. Rejection, fear, shame. We know the first thing they did was cover themselves up straight away. The third meaning of orphan, according to Webster's, one deprived of some protection or advantage. Deprived is a strong word, isn't it? When they chose to go their own way, they took on the orphan heart and were deprived. They were deprived of protection and advantage. This is what can happen when we choose to do our own thing, when we choose to go our own way and forfeit relationship. We can lose protection. We can lose our footing. To live like an orphan means to constantly be in a struggle. Struggle with the fear of trusting. It is a life of independence where you believe you are completely on your own. It means living in a state of agitated resistance against people who do not think like you. When you live your life as if you don't have a home, you start to see every person, even loved ones, as a potential threat or enemy to your independence. So we've had a little bit of a look at orphan. So we better take a look now at what God did to steer us back into our rightful place. That spirit of sonship. I want to turn to the book of Malachi this morning. In chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And as we know, Malachi was a prophet. He says, look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the lamb with a curse. I love the fact that this is where the Old Testament finishes. This is the very last word of the Old Testament. And Father God talks about restoring that father-son relationship. Malachi is prophesying about the return of Elijah, in whom we know was John the Baptist. God spoke through the angel Gabriel about, the, about John the Baptist in Luke 1, 16 and 17. He said, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. We know that John the Baptist laid down the foundation of this prophecy with the, with the baptism of repentance. And he paved the way 
for Jesus. When Jesus came, he gave us the perfect example of father-son relationship. He came to restore our broken relationship with the Father. John 5, from verse 19, Jesus said, very truly, I love that, what, what was he mean? why very truly? He's like, you better listen, this is, this is truth, this is truth. I tell you, the Son can do nothing, nothing by himself. There's no going it alone. There's no sign of an orphan heart here. He can only do what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it to. We see Jesus walking with the Father in everything he did, everything he said. We see the spirit of sonship that Jesus carried. We see the relationship of how it was always meant to be between the father and the son, the father and the daughter, a partnership. Interestingly, we move further down in that chapter, in verse 39, and Jesus says of the, of the Pharisees in 39, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. These few verses give us an absolutely cracking example of the orphan heart. The Pharisees would study the scriptures day and night, but it was all for self-gain. They were trying to climb a ladder. They were trying to be noticed. They thought that by reading them and studying that they were somehow going to be saved. They weren't interested in relationship. As Jesus said in verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me. He goes on in verse 41, I do not accept glory from human beings. In other words, they did. That's all they were interested in. The praise of man. Jesus carries on in verse 42. But I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your heart. Wow. Jesus saw straight for them. They had their own mission. They were not on the mission of God. That leads me on to the main theme of what we must do to exchange the orphan heart. For the, for the spirit of sonship, we need to get on board with God's mission. You see, there is only two missions in life. One, there is God's mission. That's the spirit of sonship or daughtership. Or two, it's our own mission. You can dress it up to how you like, 
whether it's the, the mission of your spouse, whether it's your job, whatever it is, it falls in the same category. It's your own mission. Let me tell you, I've walked on my own mission at many stages of my life. And I'll tell you, it blimmin' well hurts. <laughs> and it leads to death. As it says in Romans 8, 5 and 6, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Amen. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. It goes on in verse 14 to tell us what happens when we follow God's mission. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit that you received does not make you slaves, orphans, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit that you received brought about your adoption into sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, it goes on to say, heirs of the living God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, that we, all may, that we may also share in his glory. When we were born again, we received the Spirit of God. We were adopted as sons and daughters of God. You say, that's it, I've cracked it. I'm a son or daughter of the living God. That's right, you are, but there's more. In 1 John 4, verse 16, John clearly separates knowing from believing. He says, we have come to know and, and have believed the love which God has for us. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. It's easy to believe in our minds that God loves us. But we can live our entire lives never knowing, never knowing that love in our hearts in a deep and personal way. You know what? I believe that believing gets you saved, but knowing... Knowing allows you to walk and fulfill your full potential as a child of God. We have heard Lee talk about the 12-inch shift from our head to our heart. That is where the real connection is made. I want to share a clip this morning from a newsletter that Derek Prince wrote back in February 1998. Some of you might have heard this before, I don't know. Um, he says, this is Derek Prince's words, um, my understanding of God was revolutionised by personal experience in 1996. Ruth and I had been sitting up in bed one morning praying together as we normally do, and I became aware of a powerful uh, force at work in my feet and lower legs, and it moved upward until my whole body was forcibly shaken by it. Ruth told me later that the skin of my face changed to a deep red, but at the same time, I was aware of an arm stretched out towards my head, 
seeking to press down something like a black skull cap on me. For a few moments, there was a conflict between these two forces. Then the power at work in my body prevailed and the arm with the skull cap was forcibly taken away and vanished. Immediately, without any mental process, process of reasoning, I knew, I knew that I could now call God my Father. I had used the phrase, our Father, for more than 50 years. Doctrinally, I was clear about this truth. I'd even preached a series of free messages on knowing God as the Father. But what I received at that moment was a direct, personal revelation. Derek Prince was saved, baptised in the Holy Spirit. It was one of the greatest Christian leaders and evangelists of the 20th century. His crusades drew tens of thousands of people to meetings. Across more than 50 years of ministries, he saw millions of people get saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, healed of diseases and, and set free from demonic oppression. Yet it took nothing less than a powerful personal revelation of Father God's love to set him free. He goes on. The day that black skull cap was pulled away, the foreboding vanished. Never to return, and from that morning, it became completely natural for me to now address God as my Father, or my Father. I now have a personal relationship, not just a theological position. I've been enjoying this new relationship now for about two years. Ever since I was saved, I've believed that if I continued faithful to the Lord, I will go to heaven when I die. But I never really thought of heaven as my home. After that arm of the black skull cap was taken away, however, it, was, it has now become natural to view heaven as my home. Shortly afterwards, I said to Ruth, when I die, if you want to give me a tombstone, you can just write on it two words, gone home. <laughs> Derek Prince was 80 years of age when this happened, 80. You could say that Derek Prince had an orphan heart up until he received the revelation of the Father's love. That's like, wow. This is where God wants each and every one of us to know his love. We don't want to wait till we're late, do we? We want it now. I don't believe that this is something that we have to strive for because that's exactly what the enemy would love us to think. I believe we just have to position ourselves. We need to come in line with God. We need to get on board with his mission and not ours. How do we do that? For starters, by walking the great commandment, because that is the Father's mission. We know in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, Jesus himself says, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul and with all of our mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
Basically, the greatest commandment is for you to experience the Father's expressed love and to give it away to the next person you meet. Jesus was saying, when you seek to know God's love and to make it known, you are released from every other obligation in the word of God. Love should be and needs to be the driving force in everything we say and we do. We know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He goes on about, if I could speak all the languages, if I had the gift of prophecy, if I knew all God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge, if I had faith that could move mountains, it's all for nothing without love. How do you recognise a person who truly knows and loves God? By how well he or she can preach? By how many people fall down in the spirit when they pray? Because they have faith that can move mountains? By how they relate to others at church on a Sunday morning? By how much of the Bible they know? I think we all know that's not the case. You recognise a person who knows God by the life of love, compassion and tenderness he or she shows behind closed doors with family and friends when no one else is about, when no one else is looking. A person who loves God is one who seeks for the love of God to be made mature and complete in his or her daily relationships. The Message Bible puts it this way in 1 John 4, 17 and 18. God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house. Oh, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us. Powerful stuff, eh? What is the key for the world to come to know God's love? A love that seeks the low place of humility, service, honour and value. And that's where we find God's mission. The great commandment is to be fulfilled before the great commission. But those with orphan thinking are, are easily deceived, as I was into placing the Great Commission ahead of the Great Commandment. Orphans become more committed to justice, duty, or ministry than to intimacy. Inti intimacy must come before fruitfulness. When it does not, we usually end up being, becoming subject to our own mission, often leaving behind us a trail of damaged relationships where we have misinterpreted the love of God to our families, our friends and to those around us. We must make relational love our number one mission. Another step towards walking in the spirit of sonship is accepting discipline. This is an old favourite, isn't it? <laughs> 
you want to turn to Hebrews 12, please do, verses 7 and 8. I'm sure many of you have heard of these verses before. says in verse 7 it is for discipline that you endure God deals with you as with sons for what son is there without his father sorry without without, whose father does not discipline but if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers here we go again then you are an illegitimate child and not sons There's that mention again of the orphan there, isn't there? Let me put something to you this morning. How do you react when someone confronts you about the way you're going about your life? Whether it be at work, whether it be in a ministry, whether it be at home. Are you like, yes, tell me more. Tell me more, I wanna hear more. I never see that about me. I thank you so much. I thank you so much for, for the courage and the love that it's taken you to come to me and to speak into my life. Or do you get rattled? Do you get stirred up inside? Or do you isolate yourself and go into yourself? Do you see yourself as a failure when someone calls out a fault in you? I did. I did, yeah. I grew up in a family that had no respect for authority. I knew the police as a form of animal. That's what I got taught up to believe. Because my family knew no better. You can only give what you've been given. And because of that, I'd often, often have many arguments with people, whether it be my boss, whether it be my wife, whether it be my parents. Never see it, never see it. God, show me this. God, show me this. He showed me that that's an orphan heart and that needs sorting If someone is trying to warn you and speak truth into your life and you resist it, then you are like an illegitimate child and not a son or daughter. Inability to receive discipline can be a sign of an orphan heart. Orphan hearts have an independent spirit and resist reprimand and correction. Whereas sons and daughters welcome these things, even when they seem unpleasant. All of creation is about Father, God, longing for a personal, intimate relationship with us as his sons and daughters. One vital part of this father-child relationship is discipline. You can't skip it. You can't avoid it. We've got to learn to embrace it.
I just want to recap very quickly on what we spoke about today before I wrap things up. First of all, we spoke about how it was always God's plan to have a relationship with us. Two, how we received an orphan heart in the first place. Three, we've heard what an orphan heart is. Four, what God did to steer us back on course, starting with the very last words spoken in the Old Testament. Five, how Jesus gives us the perfect example of father-son relationship, the spirit of son and daughtership. How we are to get on board with God's mission and not our own. We need to move from head knowledge to heart knowledge of God's love. We've heard what the great commandment is and, and how it needs to come before the great mission, commission. And then last, we've heard how discipline is part of our proof of sonship with our Father God. I've only covered a small part of this today. And if you want more information, I'd encourage you to look at a book by Jack Frost, From Spiritual Slavery to Spiritual Sonship. I'm still working my way through this stuff myself. And I just want to encourage you that most of the time, it's not a fast fix, as we read with Derek Prince. When I first met my wife, I knew that she liked me. And you go through that fluffy little moment, don't you, where you're running around and you, you know, you're doing anything for her. And I, and I think it can be a bit like that when we get saved. It's like we know that God's interested in us and we know we hear about what he's done for us and we're, we're, we're running off and we're doing all these things, but we, we somehow miss the point in it all, don't we? You know, over time with my wife and the time spending with her in that relationship every day, every day, every day, I know now, I know that she loves me. That's where we need to get to, that relationship with our Father God. Yeah, I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you very much. Amen. Good question.